Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, thanks for joining me today. One of the hardest parts of being a leader is knowing how, when, and to whom to tell news and information to. Politics play a role, but more often than that, it's emotion. I'm gonna break down a complete breakdown for you to demonstrate how to, how to be honest with your team, even when sharing bad information, or even when you aren't able to tell the whole story. Let's get into it, the fifth episode of the fifth season of Voyager, Once Upon a Time. We're in a magical forest fairyland. Naomi Wildman is exploring and meets Flotter and Trevis. Flotter is a water character and Trevis is, yep, a tree character. She's in a children's holo novel where she gets to interact with the characters and, and is a part of the story. How cool, how cool would this have been growing up, right? It'd be awesome. Some, some important background here. So Ensign Samantha Wildman, who we'll meet in a bit, was pregnant when Voyager left on its mission. It was only supposed to be a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. She gave birth to Naomi in the Delta Quadrant. Naomi's father, who's back home in the Alpha Quadrant, is a Katarian. So Naomi has a different physiology and grows at a faster rate than humans do. But since Samantha is a working single mom, Neelix, our buddy Neelix, helps to take care of Naomi. And speaking of Neelix, Ensign Wildman's on an away mission right now with Tom, Paris, and Tuvok. So he's on babysitting duty. Neelix to holodeck too. Naomi here. It's bedtime. She's supposed to be back to the ship tomorrow, but tells Naomi when she calls her to tell her goodnight, they might be delayed. They're navigating around an ion storm. I can't keep ahead of this thing. Brace for impact! The shuttle they were on, the Delta Flyer, has fallen out of communications with Voyager. Can you hear me now? But Harry Kim has figured out the general area they were likely headed towards, given the direction of the storms. So Captain Janeway orders the ship to head there and begin the search. For some reason that I can't even begin to imagine, Neelix is in the briefing for this. 
He's understandably worried about Naomi, but he immediately, immediately shows why he's not fit to be taking care of a child. Maybe we shouldn't tell her anything. Even with this, Janeway trusts Neelix to make the right call and encourages him to keep her occupied, keep her busy. So it would be super easy, and believe me, it is very tempting to make this episode all about what an absolutely terrible example of parenting Neelix shows throughout the whole thing. And, and to be honest, it's, it's, it's going to come up a few more times, but I'm going to try and keep this focused on the story and the leadership lessons that come from it, because I know there's going to be some great leadership that comes out of this. And before you get upset, right, before you get upset and tell me that parenting is also leadership, I totally agree with you. 100% parenting needs strong leadership. But this isn't a parenting podcast, and I'm not about to pretend that I'm an expert in something that I'm not. Okay, Neelix and Naomi are in the mess hall. She sees seven of nine and says that she's afraid of her. Don't look. She'll assimilate you. Neelix tries to tell her that seven is cool, and then Kim, Harry Kim, comes around and pulls him away. Seven comes right up and asks to sit with Naomi. Their interaction is golden, absolutely amazing, even, even if it's just a few seconds long. We get a lot more of this and their relationship through the series, and I love all of it. In fact, in fact, we actually saw some of it in the podcast episode on Voyager 1. Well, she leaves as Neelix comes back. I am bored. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Well, in more serious news, the shuttle, the Delta Flyer, has crashed and it's... About three kilometers beneath the surface. And completely covered by rock. Oh, and the atmosphere is toxic, so they're on borrowed time. Oxygen is running out. Samantha Wildman's injured. She needs surgery. She's not doing well at all. Voyager's located the general location of where they are, but, but things are not looking good from their vantage point. Either they vaporized on impact or they're buried beneath the surface. They decide to send teams down to investigate. Neelix is keeping Naomi on a normal routine. The doctor is teaching her biology. Mitochondria. The warp core of the cell. Exactly. You know, Naomi is super smart. She is totally rocking it. I mean, she's giving it back and forth with the doctor. But, and this is key, being smart specifically means, <laughs> it means that she's not an idiot. She's starting to ask questions about her mom, and the people around her are struggling to avoid the topic because Neelix is, is completely avoiding it with her. And Neelix, he is talking with her, he is spending a lot of time with her, and in one of their interactions, he shares some of his childhood. Naomi wants to know more. She's asking a lot of questions. Now, you and I, we have not gotten into Neelix's history yet. So here's kind of the high-level piece. There was a war years ago, years ago, and that war did not end well for Neelix and his people. His family was massacred. In that war, when the Hakonians, their enemies, unleashed a Metreon Cascade, which was a super weapon of mass destruction. Neelix was spared. He survived because, well, because, mm, well, more on that later. We'll, we'll save that for another episode. But for now, we'll just say he wasn't there when the Cascade was triggered. So they finish up this conversation and they go back to Flotter. They're back in the Hollow Novel. It's a chapter in this thing where they discover fire. 
and Neelix thinks it's way too scary for a child. I think it's your bedtime. But I want to find Flutter. Now, don't argue with your godfather. Come on now. After they get out of there, Neelix is complaining to Harry Kim about the book. And Kim Kim says everybody loves this. All the kids grew up watching this. Even he did. He thinks Neelix is making a really big deal out of nothing. And then Neelix freaks out. What's wrong? Everything. Everything's wrong. A lot of the episode from here goes into Neelix really just placing his trauma, the trauma of losing his family, onto Naomi, despite literally every person around him telling him that's not the way it's supposed to go down. This is not Naomi's experience. I adapted. The child, Naomi, will adapt as well. Through all this, he finally intersects with Janeway, and she straight up calls him out on his irresponsibility. Your mission was to keep her occupied, not to lie to her. He argues with her, but she doubles down, calls him into her ready room, and tells him that he needs to tell Naomi everything. But then he loses it. If you can't do it, I will. You don't have the right! Now, you might expect Janeway to to counter back, right? Put up the fists and go to the mattresses with him on this, but no, she is awesome here. She keeps her tone calm, quiet, measured. She sympathizes with him. She even acknowledges his feelings and then redirects him. I understand. And you're right, but this situation is different. This is absolutely masterful. We've talked about this a number of times. This, this is a perfect example of how to immediately de-escalate a situation with somebody. He agrees, finally, to tell Naomi first thing in the morning. But, like, like often happens in situations like this, that agreement is too little, too late. Naomi wakes up, Heads to the bridge to find Neelix and overhears everything. Tell Bay to stand by for heavy casualties. Whoops. He never had a chance to tell her. And she walks in in the middle of the rescue operation. He tries. He tries to get to her, but she runs away. She runs off to the holodeck to be in her hollow novel, to be with Flotter. Neelix finally tracks her down, but the characters are protecting her better than he has. She doesn't want to talk to you. You lied. After this, he finally comes clean to her. She doesn't trust him, and she pushes back. She has a lot of questions for him. He tells her the truth about his family, and that he was trying to protect her from feeling the feelings that that he's had to feel his whole life. But she doesn't accept that. She says that hiding from the truth and hiding from your feelings never actually helps. He thinks about it. He pauses. And he agrees with her. They leave the holodeck together. On the planet's surface, they found the shuttle. They're digging them out of the rocks they're buried under. They can't get it all the way out, so some innovative thinking. They beam the Delta Flyer straight up to Voyager, which then warps away just in time to miss an ion storm. Naomi is reunited with her mom. They go to see Flotter together, and they're joined by Neelix and Janeway. Turns out, <laughs> Harry Kim's not the only one that grew up with Flutter. Did I ever tell you about the time I flooded this entire forest? I was six years old. I watch this episode now as a father a lot differently than I did in the past. And that's a good thing. Because in the past, I thought this was one of the worst episodes in all of Star Trek. Come to Quartz, is fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. 
So you're looking for a podcast to help you grow your business, stay in the motivational millionaire mindset to get things done, and listen to some great million dollar interviews with real successful business owners that can teach you how they actually did it. Well, guess what? I got the podcast for you. Come on over and come with me, Janice Morton, host of Your Small Business Podcast. You know, it's like a one-stop shop for happy hour with a girlfriend mixed in with some business talk. Come on over to Your Small Business Podcast and let's make this money. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Okay, so I still don't care much for this one. It's corny. It's contrived and does little more than barely move the needle with Neelix and his trauma. But like Star Trek usually does, when it's handed something like this, it made the most out of the situation. The flatter novel actors really, really gave this their all and turned it into something kind of entertaining. Flatter actor Wallace Langham, yep, that's right, it's that Wallace Langham, the Wallace Langham that was the lab tech guy in the OG CSI. You haven't had the full David Ives experience. He could have really gone over the top with this, but he, but he kept it pretty good. He kept it pretty tame. And the Trevis actor, Justin Lewis, even tried to have a little fun where he could. Timber. And to be fair, his... His makeup was pretty good. I mean, it was nothing amazing or anything like that, but as far as making a dude into a tree, it's pretty well done. But the star, the star of this episode, and frankly, the only reason worth watching it, is Scarlett Palmer's Naomi Wildman. She plays her from this episode all the way to the end of the series, but prior to this episode, Wildman had been played by two other child actors, and she, Scarlett Palmer's, is awesome. She works really well in the fairly wooden acting style of this genre of Trek. She adds a ton of personality. She has this cool like little thing that she does sometimes where she blinks her eyes just kind of out of sync. It's a cool little character thing. But but honestly, don't don't just take my word for it. She also won the best performance in a TV drama series for a supporting young actress in the 1999 Youth and Film Awards, just, just a few months after this episode air. And I mentioned it in the last episode when this one came up and in the recap earlier, but this is the origin of the Naomi Seven relationship. We'll get more of this as we get more Voyager episodes, but I love their back and forths. In fact, in fact, now that I think of it, it's super unlikely, but I sure hope there's something of Wildman in the third season of Picard. That, that would be cool. Command codes verified. Father knows best, right? Well, we'll see. I mean, we're not going to spend a lot or maybe any real time talking about Neelix's approach to parenting, but we are going to talk about the trap leaders and managers fall into all the time. Paternalism. Or, as I recently learned a better way of saying that, Parentalism. This is where leaders make decisions, take actions based on what they believe is best for their team. And spoiler alert, it's almost never a good thing. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. We're in the middle of the Starfleet Leadership Academy Patreon subscriber drive, and I am loving what I'm seeing. 
starting two weeks ago up into the middle of July, every new and upgrading subscriber will be invited to a live Ask Me Anything meet and greet on Zoom. And if we hit a hundred or more invites, I'm going to host a watch party of one of the Star Trek films. Just visit patreon.com slash SFLA or click the link in the show notes to subscribe today. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about Neelix's parenting. What he does here is a thing that honestly a lot of parents do, unfortunately, and that's putting their past traumas onto their kids. But again, I am, I'm not an expert here, but I happen to know an expert here on this. I want you to check out my friend Cameron's podcast, Our Village Stories. He's dropping knowledge on this stuff all the time. Okay, parentalism. I want to say, right, I want to just put it out there. I'm using this new word in place of paternalism or even maternalism. I like parentalism because it's gender neutral. And quite frankly, it's it's a lot closer to what's actually going on here. You know, when you parent, you're, you're raising a kid, you want what's best for your children. Father knows best. Part of what makes that so hard is they so rarely ever seem to want the same things. I think that left to their own, like my daughter, for example, would plop in front of a TV to watch Paramount Plus and just eat candy. You know, am I right? <laughs> so I get to tell her things like, get up, go exercise, read a book, go to, go to sleep, wash your face. It, you know, all those things she'd almost never do on her own but she really needs to do. And and I'm not being totally fair. I mean, my daughter does love to read, so there's there's that. That that might happen without me encouraging her to. But the rest, yeah, maybe not so much. But the point is, we do those things with our kids because they don't know better. They haven't experienced the world. They haven't lost any of their teeth, right? Because they didn't brush. At most, they've had someone come into school to show them pictures of cavities. Maybe their dentist talks about it, but they've never actually experienced the consequence we talk about all the time. So stuff like cavities or whatever, not a big deal. That's not a real thing. But there comes a time in every child's development that you you, as a parent, are no longer helping. You're actually hindering their ability to grow and to learn by doing these things. But I don't want your life. Now, the timing on this is unique from person to person, but there is going to come a time that you, and again, I'm not the expert here, but I believe that you shift from what is basically, uh, basically a teller into more of an advisor. And this happens with the people that you work with too, right? It's somebody's first day, maybe their first week on the job. You're doing a lot of telling. But over time, you as the manager shift to a coach and an advisor. Hopefully, you're letting the team take care of itself and they're helping this new person acclimate to the team and, and learn the job. But what I want to talk about here, what I want to focus on is more macro than that kind of one-on-one -on -one interaction what I want to focus on is how you as a manager, and if you have one, your management or leadership team communicates with and makes decisions for the rest of the team. 
So there's a version of this decision-making that seems pretty innocent, but honestly is absolutely insidious. It's insidious. It's the version of this where leadership or management has has great intentions, the best of intentions, a lot like Neelix does in this episode, but they have no business making decisions on behalf of the team or trying to solve the problems that they think they're solving. In a recent episode of the Deep Leadership Podcast, host and friend John Rennie tells the story of an organization where morale was in the dumps. Management met about it, they talked about it, they they made proposals on how to fix it, and finally ended up, (laughs) they ended up giving everyone a, a button to wear that said, I love my job. Seriously, that's exactly what happened. But there's a reason that this happened. And, and I don't want to think, I don't want to think that reason was ill intention, right? Like, I think that they truly felt this would help. Mission accomplished. But the reason this happened is because if you re-listen to what I just said, you'll notice that in all the meetings, all the proposals, all the talking, all the stuff that happened, no one ever spoke to a single person on the team. No, a bunch of managers, I'm not even going to call them leaders, a bunch of managers sat behind closed doors and decided what was best for a group of people that were not involved in the conversation. I mean, to say it, to hear that it's madness, right? How could anyone ever think that slapping a button on the team was a good approach to supporting them? But this stuff happens All the time. I call this ivory tower syndrome. This is where a group of people unconnected to the problem decide on their own how to solve this problem. And for a lot of organizations, if not most of them, this is the default operating mode. Oh, and if you hadn't guessed already, that button initiative, yeah, it didn't work. In fact, morale and engagement dropped even lower. I know that this might come as a shock. Yep. But almost every ivory tower decision fails. And a whole lot of them actually make the problems even worse. Okay, I want to dive deeper into other situations this happens in. To set the foundation for this, I'm going to say that your team is fully personified by Naomi Wildman. For some of these examples, you and your team your management team, will be personified by Neelix. Sorry about that. But let's start with the team, which, frankly, now that I'm hearing myself saying that, that really is everything. Like That's like 80% of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Just start with the team, and you're going to be good to go most of the time. But, okay, back to the example. Let's start with them. Here's the thing. The people on your team are smart. They're not idiots. They know their jobs and they know a lot more about what's going on in your organization that, than even maybe you do. They, they're Naomi. They have an intrinsic understanding of how the place works and they understand what's actually important and what isn't. Now that said, they absolutely need to learn more about the work, right? They need to check their biases on a regular basis. They need to have a good support system for both entertainment and for their mental health. Naomi has these things. She she learns more about her, her work and her, and her world from the doctor. 
She will, over time, check her biases about the Borg. And she has Flotter that keeps life fun, but also gives her a safe space to feel her feelings and keep herself healthy. And yes, you might have noticed this. I am specifically calling out fun and entertainment as things that people need at work. But you'll notice that Naomi chooses what those things are, not Neelix. In fact, she's the one that invites Neelix along with her into that place. Ugh, I can only imagine the terrible ideas Neelix would have to to entertain her. So, just like your team, Naomi's a very smart person. She understands how things work. So when her manager, Neelix, tries to dance around an issue and not answer her questions, she cries BS. Anybody talk to her? Well, not in a day or two, but... Starfleet Regulation 476-9. All away teams must report to the bridge at least once every 24 hours. At this point, honestly, she has no reason at all to respect Neelix anymore. He is clearly lying to her and not telling even part of the truth. And and she caught him in it. She caught him in it. He has an opportunity to make good. At this point, he could have just owned up to it. He could have tried to make it right, but, but he didn't. He just stuck to his talking points and kept trying to distract her. Now, this happens to us, too. We get part of the story, not the whole story, or worse... Sometimes we get an entirely made-up story. Neelix, you and and, and your team, sit in an ivory tower and you learn a thing. From there, you have to decide if you're going to share that thing. And if you do decide to share that thing, how are you going to share it? What are the talking points? How do we remain consistent in responding to questions around this thing? Now, the way Neelix did this was to decide on his own in his little ivory tower. The ivory tower! How to share the info about Samantha with Naomi. And that decision was to not share it at all. And we saw how that went, right? It blew up in his face. But had he treated her like the person she is, like a smart person that knows what's up, he could have had a frank conversation with her right away. Would she have been upset? Absolutely. But but she was Anyway, and when she was upset, it was with Neelix for making a bad call and sticking to it. Had he shared the news, she could have been upset about the thing that mattered, her mom. And then she could have been supported by Harry Kim, the doctor, Seven of Nine, Janeway, and everybody else that makes up her team and her community. This reminds me of a really minor thing that happened a few years ago. This didn't happen where I worked, but it happened in a friend's office. And it's a great example of how deciding how to talk about a thing in an ivory tower and then sticking to it, even after you're called out on it, can take a little minor thing and make it huge. So the office my friend works in, I think he's still there, but uh, they do they do some data thing. I honestly, honestly don't know what, what they do, but the team there, they're given, they have a lot of metrics. They're very metrics driven and they capture those metrics in real time. The team has a really healthy sense of competition. I pumped those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. And it helps drive their numbers up. They've been using these ceiling mounted projectors to display the numbers on a wall that maybe a little over half of the team could see. 
management decided that this was too expensive to continue. It just wasn't sustainable. The bulbs were burning out all the time and they cost a few hundred bucks a piece to replace. They had these things on for like 15 hours a day and and projectors aren't supposed to do that, you know? So for the same price as I think it was two sets of bulb replacements, they were able to buy, I don't know, a couple 48 inch TV screens they could mount to the walls instead. Easy math, right? There's a super quick ROI and lower cost moving forward. So <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? So going back to what makes an ivory tower decision in this story, right? No one has spoken to anyone that actually does the work. No one that actually uses what these projectors pop up and show. This was a group of managers behind closed doors, sitting in a room, making a call on their own. Now, some added context here is really important. So the revenue was down for this organization at the time. Leadership was talking about that all the time, and everybody saw a bunch of emails about it. Downsizing? Yeah, I have no problem with that. I've been recommending downsizing since I first got here. So that was where the first big blow came from. There's no communication to the team on this whole thing. They just came in on a Monday and there's these fancy looking TVs, man, where the projector screens used to be. People start asking. They're talking to each other. They're ramping each other up. They're getting more and more upset. They go to their managers or direct supervisors who don't really know what to say. People are way mad. And their simple answer of saving a couple bucks just isn't cutting the mustard. The managers retreat to their ivory tower and start strategizing. They decide that once people understand the cost savings, they'll, well, they'll be totally on board, right? So they pull everybody together and they share just that. Hey, everybody, this is so cool. We're going to save so much money now. Well, you could probably guess that was a dud, right? Remember those revenue issues I mentioned a second ago? Well, because of those, people missed a raise because of them. So that's immediately where they go. If we're saving so much money, are we getting our raises now? Are those raises going to be retroactive? I mean, the questions just started flying and none of the managers were prepared for them. So beaten and utterly defeated, the managers retreated once again, to the place, the only place they felt safe, their ivory tower. Now, there's a whole group of people that feel like they were just handed a bill of goods, and they are ready to revolt. Going on strike. We're going on strike. But they slowly get back to work because, because that's what our society trains us to do. They stay mad as time goes on, but... Then they start thinking about the TVs in a different way. It's like it's like less than a week since the big announcement. Let's say let's say it's Wednesday now. One brave soul enters the ivory tower. Please sir, I want some more. They politely ask why if they were replacing the projectors, didn't they spread the TV screens out more so more of the team could see them? If you remember that I said just about half the team could see where they were currently set up. This was a huge, a total missed opportunity. Well, the end of the story comes up at this point, and it's it's not all that great. I mean, for some it was. Most of the people that were super mad have since gotten new jobs. And my buddy, my buddy was able to get the TV screens moved so people could actually see them. But had things gone just 
a little bit differently, this could have been an entirely different experience. So if we rewind and then use my super magic device that lets me rewrite Star Trek episodes, like when I rewrote Enterprise's The Catwalk, this is what things could have looked like. Manager 1 says the projector bulbs are too expensive. So Manager 2 proposes buying TVs and presents the return on investment stuff he did. The managers then meet with the team. Because remember, start with the team. They share the problem and what they learned about the TVs. Then the team is excited about this cool idea. They work through the stuff and that raises questions. They work through those together. And remember that that meek team member that dared cross into the ivory tower? Well, they get to propose putting the TVs up in strategic positions. Boom. Literally everybody wins. Instead, they got a solid couple years of active disengagement from the team. So what, what do you do about this? I mean, I could really overcomplicate things and dive into those times when you're handed a piece of politically sensitive information or, or your superior explicitly tells you to not share a piece of possibly devastating or, or in fairness, even some awesome news. But the reality is, no matter how complicated the situation is, the news that you're handed or whatever, it all comes down to two very simple things. Trust and respect. Is a measure of love and respect. Well, yeah, that's totally a way to put it too. But, but for this, we're going to go with trust and respect, right? So trust your team. Respect them. Know that they know more than you know they know. Whew, yeah, that was something. But seriously, include your team in your decision-making. That is the lesson to pull from this. When you do that, it all but guarantees you'll end up with a better and more effective solution. And when it's just news you have to share, trust your team. Share what you're able to, and when you can't, don't double down on it. Here's, here's a tool that I love to use, and it's, it's, it's pretty wild, right? It's, <laughs> it's just being straight up honest. Yeah, you're right. There's more to this, but I'm not able to share it right now. What I do here is I lean on the trust that we have. Come back with, uh, you know me, right? You understand that if I could share more, I would, right? But, but I just, I, I can't. And the cool thing is, when you're honest like that, people are most often going to respect you for it. But if you pull a Neelix... And you just keep on acting like everything's cool and you just don't know what's going on. Trust me, it will bite you. <laughs> it will be far, far from pleasant. Have you subscribed to the Starfleet Leadership Academy Patreon yet? Hmm? Have you? Listen, not only is it the best way to support the production of this show and the other content around it, but you also get access to bonus episodes and unique merchandise. I recently uploaded a bonus episode watching the first episode of The Orville. There's some cool and fun stuff in there. And if you subscribe or upgrade your subscription between now and, and mid-July, you'll be invited to an Ask Me Anything meet and greet. And after you've subscribed, share that great news with me on social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and most everywhere else at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in Trevis 
A-K-I-N. Now, computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, wow, we're staying in Voyager. Heading back to the third season, it'll be the 17th episode, Unity. This episode came out just a few months after the Star Trek First Contact film, and it's the first appearance of the Borg in Voyager. They go on to be a massive part of the story, and it all starts here. I'm also thinking, if I, if I remember the episode correctly, I think there might be some ties between it and the Picard series as well. Well, we'll find out together right here next time. And until then... Ex Astra Scientia. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electric acid.